guest on the Hammond High podcast this week is Martin Stone. Martin's the driving force behind Muswell Hill Soup Kitchen and the founder of nextmeal.co.uk, which enables people in need of help to find a meal nearby. He speaks to us about the thinking behind soup kitchens and what we've learned about people's needs and community work during the coronavirus crisis. So, hi, Martin, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, André. <laughs> Good. Okay, well, um, obviously, the, the soup kitchen on Friday uh, reopened for takeaways, didn't it? But let's, um, let's, uh, let's come to that a little bit later and start with you. So you're, you run Muswell Hill Soup Kitchen um, and also Next Meal, uh, the website, which is a, a website that directs people to where their soup kitchens or meals available if they're if they're in need. But how did you come to all of this? Yes, I've been thinking about the story. Um, as most things, I stumbled on it. I happened to live in Dukes Avenue. I happened um, to have a background in social housing, and the. And it came about that um, the person running it suggested I might like to take it over. And that's really how it started 12 years ago. 12 years, that's quite a stint. So your background in social housing, was that working for authorities? Yes, as well as for the College of North East London. Ah, About social housing. And what, uh, so so 12 years ago, you got into the um, Muswell Hill Soup Kitchen. What was happening there at that time? Well, um, I, I, I didn't know anything about soup kitchens, and it seemed to be that the people were doing a, a grand job, but five nights a week, it, it was a huge um, commitment, and I felt it uh, a very, very heavy burden to suddenly be responsible for this um, difficult, uh, challenging operation five evenings a week. And... I mean, the, the people who were uh, using it at the time, or and now even, it's got a relatively wide catchment area in that part of Haringey and, and further south, I guess, as well. Yes. Uh, well, where are people coming from at the moment? Well, people rather liked Muslim Hill Soup Kitchen. They seemed to think it was well-ordered and produced great food. And they were coming in from as far as field as Twickenham, Clapham, as well as um, the borough of Haringey. The... I mean, when we say people, we, we, we've all kind of got an idea in our head of people who are sleeping rough or people you see in the street. Um, but would I be right in saying that people come from all kinds of backgrounds, walks of life, situations? Um, you, you must come across a huge variety of stories that have brought people to the kitchen. Yes, yes, indeed. And I think that... Um... It, it was a, a sort of a family situation um, where people knew each other. They knew the volunteers. Some of the volunteers have worked there for 25 years. So obviously known some of the guys a very long time. And feel, people felt a sense of belonging. And it wasn't so much about street homelessness. It, it was about a routine and a place of comfort and a place of need and a place of companionship. And I assume that's the the same now. Is it? I mean, is the is the soup kitchen filling gaps that really should be covered in other ways? That's an interesting point, and we've just had the biggest ever sociological experiment of saying, look, let's end street homelessness. Period. 
Let's house every street homeless person in the UK. It happened. Because of COVID, people were invited to go to hotels and rooms and flats. And fantastic, but did that end the problem? There was a massive state intervention, but I'm told that in the borough of Camden, there are more people on the streets now than before the COVID lockdown. So, so it means that there's many complexities around street homelessness, people in acute need, people giving up their tenancies. It's not just giving people accommodation and suddenly a, a problem as we perceive it goes away. Yeah, I mean, and obviously we're not going to solve this on a podcast, even one as good as the Ham and High podcast. But what, what would you like? What would you like to see actual done? Because it's it's all very well, you know. Everybody says our oh, things need to be done. Something needs to change. We need to take advantage of what we've just seen—a huge intervention. But what would you like to see who do right now? Well, for those of us of a certain age, can remember the Community Care Act. That means there was a huge change in the way that people in hospitals, mental, mental hospitals, were, were being treated. That meant that there was much more control in terms of behavior, et cetera. And the community, the community could look at looking after people with, shall we say, minimal needs. And there was no need to put a huge brick wall around people's lives. That happened, and not many people talk about community care now, but the hospitals, many of them closed. But obviously there are people who are isolated and in need, and that really continues. And some of the gaps that are formed by many of the um, soup kitchens as I go around them are by regular people. Going to the soup kitchen for them is this regular form of social engagement. And that's vital for people to maintain their level of mental health and not let it sort of get worse in any way. So there is still a need for people coming together. For, there's been a massive cut in day centers, for instance, and things like this. And particularly with COVID, there's more isolation. So people have acute needs. If you don't have them now, you'll have them at some point in your life. And it's really about coping with it. So I think it's a false thing to think, let's eradicate what we perceive as a problem. What we do is have human beings who have different needs at different stages of their lives. And we should think, what is all our responsibility, not just taxation? Is there a way in which we can help? And soup kitchens that are very well run, that are very warm and welcoming and safe, do provide somewhat of an answer. I mean, there, have, there has been a, a loss of day centres and that kind of facility because of squeezes of money for local yeah. authorities. Um, would you like to see that brought back? Yes, I think every, every social um, interaction is very important for everybody. And maybe some of the reasons why people went back onto the streets, out of hotels, out of rooms, is because of isolation. And I think it's very important that as we uh, think about what it really means to enjoy this life, enjoy being human, social contact is very important. So we just want to come out of a COVID lockdown, may go into another one. But what lessons were learned through that process of people with acute need? Well, here we have a certain tension. For people suffering, say, from heart disease or, or people who are mentally ill and, and requiring treatment, they, in fact, have had a, a better time because 
they will be able to be contacted by their medical services and know exactly where they are. They're locked down, so they're not moving out of their accommodation and they're taking their drugs. And so there's been a big help to people suffering with acute illness because they've stayed where they are and they've actually taken the prescribed drug. That's good because that's a plus to locking down isolation. But on, but on the contrary, at the same time, people who are not communicating um, obviously their, their condition gets a lot worse. So when we reopened last Thursday, the men, some of the men hadn't seen each other for six months and they were very concerned about different people they knew. And when one man came along in his sort of late seventies, they instantly clapped his arrival. And at that point we knew <laughs> there was a sense of belonging. There was a sense of concern. And I think soup kitchens fulfill in a voluntary way, that little gap of just bringing people simply together around food. And yeah, I mean, I was there last week and as you say, it was, there was a kind of relief, but just a happiness for people yes. to see others that they hadn't seen for a little while. And obviously these are people who aren't necessarily in touch in other ways um, uh, at all times. The, uh, for you working there, for all the, the volunteers, obviously there's a satisfaction in doing something that's, that's good. But there must be, uh, there must be fun. I know there's fun to be had from meeting some of the characters there. Yes, and, and I think that they said that the reason we came back was because we didn't want to let you down. You know, <laughs> they told me we didn't want to let you down because they felt we were having such fun. <laughs> and if they didn't turn up, we'd have less fun if you see what I mean, running it. So I think that um, it's always been a relationship of being together, creating a moment of happiness. So when we were together, we had the live jazz, we had great communication, we had fantastic food, and we had a real party atmosphere. And, and the guys really enjoyed it. And so did the volunteers working together, creating that moment of happiness. Now we're looking at different ways to create those moments. And the open air provided that in a small way. Great, you know, and it's a very safe thing to do. Yeah, so just, just for listeners to be clear, so um, you, there was the soup kitchen, this is Muswell Hill Baptist Church, isn't it? And it used yeah. to be based in the, in the hall um, up there. Um, during COVID, you were doing deliveries of some kind, and now um, there's a collection service outside. Um, well, just tell us about when that is and, um, and what's happening at the moment. Right, so as soon as uh, COVID came, we we were allowed as a soup kitchen to do home deliveries to vulnerable people. So there's a hostel uh, with 30 people in it in Muswell Hill. So for homeless people, so we deliver there. We then, with the Salvation Army, uh, direction in Wood Green, we deliver to vulnerable people in Harringay, really. So we, we do about 50 to 60 meals every Sunday. So that's food going out. And there's interactions on doorsteps. Excellent. And it does mean that people very vulnerable people who wouldn't necessarily come to the soup kitchen are now getting these regular hot home-cooked meals then they absolutely love it it's very very supportive ministry and then on a Thursday night for the first time we put up this gazebo and there we were you know off the street as it were serving people serving great food and having a real fun time and people were you know it, you were there Andre and you saw for yourself that people walking down the street came in there to join us and talk to us and that's great. And it's a real positive thing that's come out of being of lockdown and COVID, really. How, and, and I think we're pretty much COVID proof. 
So, for instance, we know that Israel is locked down today and uh, their restaurants are allowed to do home deliveries and takeaway meals. So there we go. Master Hill Soup Kitchen, home deliveries and takeaway meals. I mean, it, it's a common theme that's come out of it, isn't it? That um, communities have come together and people have supported each other to, to a certain extent. Obviously, we're still at the moment blessed with at least the sun's out and the winter hasn't arrived. Um, are you, have you got people involved and um, things in place so that when the weather gets worse, there'll be something to do? One of the things we're looking to do is to purchase a van so that we can go out to the people uh, where they are taking necessary equipment, bags, whatever they may need to survive any cold weather. So that the soup kitchen's changed um, and equally we don't know what's going to happen people to people in terms of rough sleeping uh, this winter. Uh, but we can provide somewhat of a service to survive the winter. We don't encourage street sleeping and all that sort of thing, but um, on a cold night, we want them to survive the night and meet another day. So the, the soup kitchen is changing and meeting those challenges, but the amount of volunteers, as we had like say 15 a night, five nights a week, that's 80 odd people volunteering at soup kitchen. Now that's been greatly reduced to just a handful of people because of Corona working alone, you know, working one in the kitchen. So, so that's been a bit of a change. But um, it's just one of the effects of COVID, not allowing lots of people to come together. But we're still able to do some reasonable service. And the other, um, the other thing you launched earlier this year um, properly was Next Meal. Um, I forget, is it not.com or .co.uk? .co.uk, and it, we've got a .com in, in the United States. So this is very much a podcast about Muswell, but not Muswell Hill, but the borough of Haringey and local people. But what has been, I think, quite remarkable in um, this little road, that a soup kitchen, very, very small, was uh, able to um, function without any money as, a vol as volunteers, able to reach five stars, you know, sort of food safety standards, able to raise 50 grand from the community for a kitchen, a really good commercial kitchen, and really have a model for serving. We then looked at um, how could we share this, well, the things that we've learned, and what's really going on in the sector. So next meal came along, we thought, we thought about next meal was just joining up very, very simply, every soup kitchen, UK and parts of Europe and now parts of the world. And what are you doing? And, you know, where's the food support 24 seven? So we had this launch in parliament. And of course, what was very interesting about that is it was just at the time of the, the height of the COVID um, outbreak. So we squashed 200 people in a very unhealthy way in one room. So we get maximum COVID spread. And so that was actually the last function, I think, in Parliament. And uh, just to be clear to the listener, this was just before lockdown. We weren't breaking any rules. This was before lockdown. Oh, but it, was, uh, it, was, it was just ahead a few weeks later and it would have been cancelled entirely. The whole world would have closed. So I think it's the last public function in Parliament. Hmm. We were totally oblivious, obviously, to this. And... It was to celebrate the fact that it had become a charity and the first, I think, ever in the UK, a web-based charity, the very suspicious charity commission of, you know, web-based charity, what is this? Mm. 
But it's been real fun to join everybody up around the world and to see what they're doing. And now we're, we're looking at what initiatives are, are you sort of doing to stay purposeful within COVID. And so that's what we're learning and sharing about from, you know, New York to, to Milan to London. And we're doing an international Zoom to what everyone's doing. And... Um, and yeah, you know, Sydney, Australia. So it's one of the things you can do with the internet. A very big plus is to share what are you doing now. It seems to me the question that you may ask Andrew, is what, what? How do we eradicate a problem? But I'm not really sure. Life is about eradicating pro- what people perceive as problems. We have urban environs that we know change. COVID has changed in the urban environment, but within an urban environment, you have about four percent food waste. Now that food waste obviously turns from soup kitchens into food. And because there's food, people can sustain a sort of lifestyle that's quasi, you know, in accommodation, not in accommodation. And I think that um, what I think about is that that type of situation in urban environments here to stay. And what we should do is provide the best possible possible service by using food, getting people to come together and making life better for people, whatever particular lifestyle they choose. And so I'm not a campaigner to sort of end street homelessness because I think it's a, it's a false way to go. I'm a campaigner for obviously freedom of people, but to use the, the, the waste in a city and to be able to say to people, well, if that's the lifestyle you wish, let me sustain it, let me help you with it make me as enriching as possibly I can for you and give them the options to change it if they wish. And I think that's a, that is the lesson learned by trying to house everybody in one hit in the UK. I mean, yeah, it's not something that you can eradicate. I'm, I'm sure you're right. Um, but at the same time, the fact that the authorities did manage to house that many people, yeah. there's a, there is a, a way to go towards eradicating in, in terms of, street homelessness where it's not needed. Yeah, I think so. Although I think you don't get street homelessness in a country environment, you know, out in the countryside, because you just can't survive. But you get it in every capital city of the world. Everyone has it. Well, it may be Singapore or something. There's a few exceptions. But on the whole, in every prosperous urban environment, you kind of get a street homeless situation. And what we need to do is to make that process that people are in and some of that, the chaos in the lives is generated by drugs, alcohol, other types of dependency, and they're, they're also mental illness and all so, so, So all of that is part of urban living. Rather than eradicate, how can we make that experience better? How can we make it um, more healthy for people? And how can we constantly show ways out of entrapment in that situation yeah so so making um life better rather than looking at it as something to 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 directly eradicate um are you, are you saying that the, the the authorities should not after as covid comes to an end if and when not be looking at trying to do mass housing but should be looking at other approaches Yes, I think that, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I know a little about the subject, but 
but I really don't know what's best. But the people that I talk to have many levels of need and also lives that are in chaos. And to suggest for a moment that four walls and a roof are, are really going to solve that, I, I doubt it, okay? I, I really doubt it. Some people's um, part of their peace and part of their reason for living is to be totally independent and to walk a lot, you know, to be out in the country. That's how they feel they can cope with life. And I think we can support them in that rather than saying everybody now has to come in. And I think there's lots and lots of ways to use buildings for temporary accommodation. It, so there's lots and lots of disbanded churches, Victorian buildings. They easily, if you've had these wooden structures either inside or outside around the perimeter, you can say to people, look, here is you know, a safe sanitizing lodging. You know, it's no housing benefit involved. You can come if you wish. And you could support that. And I think that the conclusion of what we're looking at is that. And the other thing to learn, of course, is that I asked a question in the house through our MP, Catherine West, how many homeless people have died during COVID? That was the great concern. If we don't house these people, is, is it going to spread? Are they becoming sort of COVID spreaders? Only 18 people, only 18 homeless people died during COVID. It's a very, very small number. And, but what it meant was that they were in the fresh air, many of them. They had um, <laughs> lives that in a sense were okay for the situation of COVID blasting in. They weren't in care homes, you know, care homes probably would have killed them. So I, I've come to a conclusion, maybe 40, 50 years of looking at this subject, is eradication isn't the way to go, but supporting people in their chosen lifestyle so, it, so they can become as happy and as comfortable and enjoy life as much as possible is something particularly the voluntary sector can pick up. How can we enrich your life? So if it enriches your life, having some fantastic food and some jazz at Musby Hill Baptist Church, soup kitchen you know, at the church, then great. If you're having a wonderful talk with someone you never met before, who's terribly interested in your life, if it helps you, then great. And I think that was the, the basis of what we tried to do, was to give people a moment of a good time. And... I would have felt very disappointed if the feeling of the soup kitchen was a drudgery. Oh my goodness, I've got to go help these sorry people, you know, and I would never want to engage in that. But if you can create a moment of joy and happiness, that's a real motivation for people volunteering and also taking lots of new initiatives into hopelessness. Certainly the few times I've visited, it's always been a very upbeat feel and the, the volunteers seem happy that the the guests are happy to be there um so it, it's 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 uh it's succeeding on that basis i think two two issues kind of jump out when we're talking about um lifestyles one is mental health provision which it's mm. you know it's pretty universally accepted now that what we've got isn't good enough the government accepts it even if um uh, you may or may not be happy with their approach to it but pretty much everybody says that's the case the, the other issue is is drugs legislation, mm. which obviously will directly affect a lot of the people you have contact with. What, what's your thoughts on how we approach drugs? Well, obviously all these things are interconnected. They just are. You, you know, if, if you, you know, maybe mental health issues and then a drug problem or a drug problem instigates later on a mental health issue, isolation, 
perhaps street begging. Um, it's definitely not easy to, to solve any of this. And I know from experience that many of my guys are in and out of um, hospital. Is it worthwhile? Isn't it worthwhile? I think that we need safe places for people to go who are on drugs. We look at many experiences around the UK that many cities have acknowledged, look, people are on drugs, but do we want a public display of that? Or do we want centres that are well run, acknowledging their dependency and ways of helping them during that experience, okay? I think, I think that's important. I can't go into the world of a podcast of criminality of drugs and all that connection, what it means. I, I, I look at the people's lives that we interact with but on the whole, it's a mixture of things that people can be ill, drugs can make them ill, and we just need to be better. So one, of the, one of the things I would very much like to see is, as we're getting a van, is lots of mobile mental health units going out to the streets where people are and doing assessment on the street. That's definitely, I, I think, a mobile, mobile mental health units are very important and would definitely be good in an urban environment. Let's quickly talk about the van and then um, I'm determined to get some more answers about you and, and what drives you. But firstly, on the, on the van itself. So um, this is uh, something that's being worked on at the moment. Are you looking for donations? Are you doing fundraising events? Yes, we're going to. Obviously, we used to do fantastic things like Sing for the Soup. Yeah, Leslie Garrett came along and sang. And, you know, great things. People come together. People... COVID, the killer, has dealt a, a deathly blow. So we're now going to raise 23 grand um, from 23,000 people giving a pound each to fund a community van and uh, for the soup kitchen. I, and I love the idea that local people can throw in a quid and create this van, which is going to take food to vulnerable people, a really good community asset. And uh, yeah, it, it's exciting that uh, we're given the, the community opportunity to create the van and you know the way in which this van can be used in so many ways to help vulnerable people so yes we're uh, just about to launch the just giving page and um we want children so for instance there were harvest festivals you remember thousands of cans come in but very much like that to be turned into little pound coins and uh, let's get that van and let's keep on taking these wonderful meals on a regular basis to people. So on that, people could say, well, you know, is it worth it, etc." cetera. Um, a gentleman came last night and he said, can I have a meal? So I gave him this hot meal. I said, would you like anything else like cornflakes or packets or anything? He said, no, no, no. He said, what I love, he said, is home cooked food. It's food that's already prepared. And there is something so special about that, that someone actually in love got this food together, made it and, it, and there it was taken every week, not just once, but every week at the same time. There is your weekly fantastic meal. And so you could say, well, Martin, what was that meal? What did you do? So we have a, a brilliant uh, Indian restaurant in Harrow Hill, and they do this fantastic soup. So they make the soup. And uh, they, they start off with a superb soup. And then they, the main course of rice and chicken and all those vegetarian options. Work. And, and desserts, glorious desserts from Gales, you know, things like that. The, the food is only fantastic. 
there's also fruits and you know apples and pears and things and bananas we we try to produce the very best and um you know with the felix project dropping off food so the van's really essential in this new service let's take the food to people leave it on their doorstep have a little chat see if they're okay so i'm really pleased that the soup kitchen has been able to adjust to the times it's living in met you several times now and you're obviously a very driven person and uh and you know the the, the soup kitchen has been a great success and next next meal has been a great success but what 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 is it what do you do when you're not getting these things working you're a football fan yeah i'm Ipswich town supporter I, i'm a, i'm a optimist in cases of a constant defeat i was not expecting that how are they looking this season um <laughs> shaky well, I'm a Spurs fan and we've just played our first game so it's yeah shaky's the word for us as well but, but, but what else what's um okay what fills your life apart why would I possibly do the soup kitchen um the reason I do it is because I'm fundamentally lazy and <laughs> I other people do it and I think I, I went to a, a secondary modern school I didn't you know I'm not very clever i'm never the first you sort of thing so i've had an upbringing i've always recognized greatness in others not feeling less than but real talent in other people and rejoicing that talent like ronaldo as a footballer you know pavarotti as a singer you know it's fantastic other people have great talent but there's also this quiet talent how can we bring that talent together and create something and i don't even know what a talent is except people are very very kind when I ask them, <laughs> they do it. And I'm so shocked <laughs> and grateful. And that's really been the story. Would you mind? I've got this. Not to say I love the homeless and you don't. I know that nonsense. I just say, look, would you like to do that? So how did next meal start? I knocked on my neighbor's door. He's a new neighbor. And someone told me, oh, I think he does apps and things. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I asked him if he would advise us. And he said, like, look, I'm not going to advise you, Martin. He goes to close the door. He said, look, I'll just make it for you. Thank you. Thank you. And so we thought, how can we launch next week? How can we tell the world that it exists? Do you go up and down the street with a megaphone? And my other neighbor, he goes, Sean Locke, here over times, great comedian. And I said to Sean, um, how can we launch this, John? You know, you, you, know, you, you are a famous person. Oh, don't worry, Martin, I'll just rent a theatre and we'll launch it. And then, you know, uh, Naomi Harris, actress, brilliant actress. So, oh, yes, I'll come along, Martin. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I spend most of my time asking people something and saying thank you. So that's really, that's a talent, you know. <laughs> well, that's, um, that certainly is a talent. At the, the Westminster launch, Sean and several other people said, well, I don't really know how I came there. It's just he asked me and now i'm here so you've obviously got it whatever it is i don't know what it is, what it is. but i think that i i clearly you're a very young man but i'm a very old man of 65 very kind of you and if you actually generally speaking if you work with a topic and subject for quite a long time you've generally got an idea of what might happen what should happen and you'd have a bit of a track record in success in life. You know, look, if we, so for instance, this van dreamt up idea, 
it should work. You know, the gazebo, people on the street having these fantastic stalls, the community involved should work. And it has worked, hasn't it? Next Meal has worked, etc. And you have a bit of a track record. And I think that sort of goes with you as well. And if the idea is well thought out by an experienced person, generally uh, people feel fairly confident that um, it's not a waste of time to say yes. But I'm extremely grateful to them. And, you know, also the other trick about life is to allow them to do it. You know, if someone volunteers, don't get in the way, you know, like my cooks cook, my volunteers you know, who interact, interact. I've never got in the way of other people and I totally trust them, mainly because I lack the talent they have. <laughs> well, listen, um, thank you very much for speaking to us uh, for the Ham High podcast. Um, we'll make sure uh, the website's got details of um, where, where we can find Muswell Hill Soup Kitchen. Uh, and the appeal, I guess the Just Giving page should be up by the time yes. this comes out. Um, and I'm sure you'll get a lot of support. So uh, thank you very much and all the best. Thank you, Andre. Thank you for our talk this morning. It's been great. Cheers. So thank you very much to Martin for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and like and review. And we'll be back again next week. <laughs>